Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of October 16th through October 18th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So if you've been following the show from the beginning, you know that I'm a big fan of anime, and I have a bit of a soft spot for covering anime movies, especially those that premiere here in the States. In fact, I have another podcast I do every other every first and third Fridays of the month called Yet Another Anime Podcast. Link in the show notes if you want to subscribe and listen to me talk about all the weeby stuff that I like. So the fact that the biggest news in this week and for the world of box office is that the record-breaking opening of the Demon Slayer movie, that just pleases me to no end. And, you know, even if I've never actually watched Demon Slayer anime myself. But I'm all about the hype train or the hype infinity train, if you will. Uh, so for context, for those not in the know, Demon Slayer, or Kimetsu no Yaiba, is a manga series by Koyoharu Gotoge that ran in the magazine Weekly Sonen Jump from 2016 through May of this year. Weekly Sonen Jump is the magazine where anime series you've probably heard of, such as Dragon Ball, Naruto, Bleach, One Piece, and many more have run in the past and as with many of those popular series, Demon Slayer ended up getting a TV anime adaptation that ran from April through September 2019. I did an episode earlier on in this, this podcast run about animated movies and had a little bit to talk about anime and the way that anime films end up being uh, valuable for your companies in that they're usually advertising for uh, the source original source material. Well... For Demon Slayer's case, the 19th episode was so well animated, it went viral on Twitter, leading to a mass popularity of the series. So popular that people would go back after the anime to go read the original manga. Pretty much what the producers of the show would want. But it was to such a degree that they had to reprint out-of-print versions of the manga, and would go on to become the highest-selling manga of 2019, outselling One Piece. Now, for context, according to data company Oricon, one Piece has been the highest-selling manga in Japan every year from 2008, when they began tracking this number, uh, so probably even before 2008, um, through 2018. And you know, One Piece is currently the best-selling manga in history, with 470 million volumes sold, but that has the benefit of be having been around since 1997. Uh, this is the number three for a comic series all worldwide. Batman's currently at 484 million, and Superman is at 600 million. So for Demon Slayer to top One Piece, even in just one year, is pretty impressive in and of itself. So the anime series covered the first 52 chapters of the 205-chapter series, or about 6 out of 11 story arcs. Uh, the seventh story arc, Mugen Train, wouldn't be long enough for a full season on, on its own, um, and so it was the, 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 tra uh, the, the arc, also known in English as the Infinity Train arc, was adapted into this movie uh, that premiered in Japan this past weekend. Now, what's different about this movie is that most anime movies are actually kind of spin-offs or filler content that doesn't actually tie into the main storyline. They're just showing the characters in some you know different place, a different setting normally than than the main uh, storyline. So, uh, this is often the case with series like Detective Conan or One Piece. So the fact that this was really the only way for fans of the series in Japan to see the next arc of this already hugely popular story um, definitely gave this film a boost. So that's kind of the context for what Demon Slayer is. 
Now, context about the Japanese box office history up to this point. Previously, the top opening weekend measured in yen uh, was for The Matrix Reloaded back in 2003, uh, the second film in the Matrix franchise. That opened up to 2.2 billion yen. Now, part of the reason for it holding onto the title for so long is that week-long previews beginning began being a thing in Japan shortly afterwards. So, you know, a lot of demand for seeing the film first would be taken up by the previews that wouldn't necessarily be counted in that opening weekend. Um, in fact, opening weekend numbers are usually only Saturday and Sunday. They don't usually have a Friday release either. Some other top films, you know, aside from The Matrix at 2.2 billion yen, uh, taking account into inflation, 2.2 billion yen is about uh, was about 14.7 uh, million U.S. dollars at the time. Um, actually, and not that doesn't even count uh, for exchange rate as well, but it is what it is. Anyway, um, other films since then, you know, Frozen 2 um, last year, as well as Detective Conan, uh, you know, premiered to 1.88 billion yen. Um, in fact, Detective Conan actually beat Endgame Avengers, um, you know, th- which had a 1.3 billion opening weekend. I think it was the only country um, that opening weekend that did not have Avengers at the top of the charts. Uh, Makoto Shinkai's p- super popular anime film Your Name, uh, which is the, actually the highest grossing anime film worldwide, opened to about 1.1 billion yen in Japan, um, and its sequel, Weathering With You, opened to 1.5 billion yen this past year. And of course, the ever popular Spirit of the Way opened to 1.05 billion yen. So, all that inside, you know, Matrix being 2.2 billion yen back in 2003, where did the Demon Slayer Infinity Train open up to? 4.6 billion yen. Again, 4.6 billion yen when the previous opening was 2.2 billion. That's over double and by far the highest opening gross opening in, in Japan's history. Uh, that converts roughly to 44 million US dollars. Um, and in fact, that's the highest grossing opening film of the weekend in the entire globe. Not even opening, just just box office performance this weekend. It's so ridiculously successful that the Japanese chief cabinet secretary, functionally the vice prime minister, made a comment praising the film for its you know success and its cultural impact. Like Endgame, it's passed a ton of box office records, so let's run through those real quickly. And credit goes to the user Corpse on the world of KJ forums, who kept the internet up to date with all of the details this past weekend. So first, like Endgame here in the States, Demon Slayer was able to get to these levels by upping the number of sewings per theater over the weekend. It was estimated that on Friday, there would be about 6,170 sewings across 267 locations, which only accounts for about 70% of the total theater market over there. That averages to about 23 sewings per theater on Friday alone, um, and the previous record holder was Frozen 2 at about 14 sewings per theater. Some of the more popular theaters, especially in Tokyo, uh, were reportedly sewing the films upwards of 40 times in a single day. And the final count ended up being, you know, with sewing in about 400 theaters total across the country, the highest for any film in history. Uh, in this, in uh, in in Japan, um, you know, there was so much demand for pre-sales that when they went live online. Every single movie site in Japan crashed. Kind of, you know, if you remember trying to get tickets for Endgame was like, or, you know, the first Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, The film was also helped by the fact that while Japan for a while has had 50% capacity in its theaters on, um, and it still has it on the weekdays, uh, they recently lifted these capacity limits to allow for 100% capacity on weekends only. So, 
you know, Saturday and Sunday, the film had over 1 million people attend, 100 million, 1 million tickets sold, um, the first film ever to do so, and in total, it had 3.4 million spectators over the weekends. Uh, breaking it down by day, it made about 12 million US dollars on Friday, and about 16.2 million on Saturday, and 15.7 million US dollars on Sunday. That's also good for the top-grossing single-day box office number in Japan's history. So, obviously, this is a stellar, amazing performance that frankly left me a little bit speechless when I first read it, but where does this film go from here? Well, in 2019, Frozen 2 had a 6.8 multiplier from its opening week into its eventual box office run in Japan. Makoto Sinkai's film, Weathering With You, had an 11.7 multiplier. Uh, and then, you know, the and then uh, Your Name, I believe, had something like a ridiculous, you know, 25x multiplier or something, something crazy like that. So, you know, Japan is generally a legular country in terms of box office numbers compared to the States where, you know, we usually see maybe 3 or 4x multipliers. So, you know, uh, a 7x multiplier, which would be relatively conservative, uh, would put this film at spirit away levels of getting in 30 billion yen in the domestic Japanese box office, which would be the highest grossing film in Japan's history. If you assume this film is somewhat front-loaded, right, and and it ends up having a more conservative, in, in fact, in, in Japan's point of view, probably terrible 4x multiplier, that puts it about 18 billion yen, which is good for eighth top-grossing film of all time, but he behind Princess Mononoke at 19.3 billion, and it'll be the fifth highest-grossing anime film of all time. It's almost certainly going to pass 10 billion yen and be the only th- and only the third non-Miyazaki film to reach that mark, the other two being uh, Weathering With You and Your Name. And of course, this is all uh, talking without its potential for breaking out in the international market and how we can get with international numbers. In order to break into the top-grossing anime films of all times, uh, in my analysis, it's going to need to do well in the key markets of China, for sure, and some companies of the US or South Korea. Uh, looking at you know comparative numbers, Weathering With You made $193 million worldwide. And that's the fifth highest grossing anime film of all time. Now, we already mentioned you know about 130 or so um, came from from uh, Japan. Um, and then, uh, you know, about 40 million came from China. And then Korea, US, and France, which has a, you know, thriving anime film market, made up another 15 million. So, you know, that gets to 193 million. A conservative 4x multiplier in Japan for Demon Slayer's numbers puts it at 176 million. Add another, you know, call it, say the same 40 million dollars from Weathering With You is applied to Demon Slayer, and another 15 million from South Korea, US, and France. That gets us to about 231 million worldwide. That would be the fourth best anime film of all time behind Howl's Moving Castle. That said, there is potential actually to outdo even that. Um, you know, Your Name, again, the, the highest grossing anime film of all time, made 225 in Japan, which would work out to be about a 5x multiplier for Demon Slayer, which is, again, pretty conservative. Um, however, where Your Name really excelled was in China, where it made 83 million, and then another 26 million in South Korea, as well as about five mil- 6 million in the US and France combined, um, and then 13 million in the rest of the world. It just had kind of universal, all quadrants appeal, and also had the benefit of not being tied to a specific market. Uh, Demon Slayer, obviously, by being a sequel to an anime series, granted a very popular anime series, will have a bit more of a limited audience, uh, though that audience will definitely be very ravenous and wanting to go see it. 
in fact, Demon Slayer is the most popular anime as of 2019 in China. So, you know, I would say that 40 million that it made in for Wedding with You and the eight and the 80 million it made for Your Name is is the balance, right? It's going to do more, I think, than than Weathering with You. Not quite as well as uh, Your Name since it won't have that wide market appeal. So, let's say 50 to 60 million, I think, uh, in in China would be a reasonable estimate. Um, and then, you know, I can't find any indication of how well it's doing in South Korea. Um, however, other Sonin series, uh, such as, you know, Dragon Ball Super Broly or My Hero Academia, uh, which came out in recent years, didn't really do that well in South Korea. So um, I, I think that Your Name was kind of a unique case where the sensibilities of the film being kind of like a dram- dramatic romantic comedy, which kind of fits with K-drama films, um, was like a unique case on, on, on an anime film doing well in South Korea. So I wouldn't expect South Korea to do well. Uh, now in the US box office I now this again grain of salt this is kind of going off of numbers pre-pandemic but My Hero Academia another popular Sonin Jump Sonin uh, series that's you know very popular in the anime community here in in the US made 13 million uh, last year in its limited run Um, and Dragon Actually, I no earlier this year, I think before the pandemic came, uh, and then another, and then you know, and then Dragon Ball Super Broly in 2017 made 30 million dollars in the U.S. You know, a couple years back. So, under normal conditions, the U.S. could add somewhere. I would say, call it 20 million additional, right? For um, for what what it could do. So, you know, let's take uh, you know, 225, right? A 5x multiplier for Japan. Uh, say another, let's say 60 million. That gives us to 285 million uh, for you know Ch- Japan and China. Ignore you know South Korea. Um, and let's say you know uh, again, grain of salt. The U.S. pandemic could you know very well stifle this. But assuming normal times, right? Maybe it comes out mid next year or, or you know shortly after the the vaccine comes out. Um, that would be say another. 20 million in the US and again fans of a show will go out like BTS did, did pretty well all things considered their movie a couple of weeks ago another 20 million right so that gets us to 305 million or so um, you know and then say another let's say mm, another 5 million between and then France um, you know based on the numbers that I could find uh, made about uh, 4 billion for a Super Dragon Ball Super Broly so let's say another 3 billion or so um, for um for uh, Demon Slayer. So, you know, that gets us to somewhere in the, you know, 308-ish range or so. Um, yeah, that that's able to get us to the number three slot uh, behind your name at 358, um, which, again, that would be severely lacking because of no South Korean numbers and not as high a China number. And then Spirit of the Way, which has been released so many times since 2001, it's currently at 350 million. So, um, again, this is all also assuming that Demon Slayer does not have a standard Japanese leg, um, at which case all reins are off. So. Uh, anyway, it's great to see that even during the pandemic, you know, we are seeing film records being broken and on the positive side of things for once. You know, the next anime film, if you're interested, I anticipate being a big deal box office wise, would be the fourth Evangelion film that was just announced to be coming out January 23rd, 2021, after a six year delay. So um, assuming this podcast is still going then and the box office hasn't completely gone away, uh, we'll be covering that and whatever those numbers end up being. So, moving on from Demon Slayer, some other positive news for the industry, at least here in the States. Uh, New York has announced that they will be allowing non-New York City theaters to reopen starting this Friday, October 23rd. 
Obviously, there's been a lot of push for movie theater executives to have Governor Cuomo approve this as New York City, specifically in New York in general, has been one of the last markets to open up theaters again. Um, and it's one of the most critical to the U.S. box office, making up, you know, at upwards of, you know, 10% of total box office, with New York being about two, about a quarter of that total. Uh, now, requirements, um, you know, for this for this starter that, you know, uh, only counties with less than 2% positive test cases are allowed to reopen, no cluster sections, and, you know, masks and science seating will be required um, at a and enforced at a 25% capacity, max of 50 people per screen, also with strict air, air filtrations in place. Um, obviously, you know, the 25% capacity isn't what the other... Uh, owners were hoping. I think they were looking for like fifty percent or so. But you know, it's a start, um, especially you know, not having New York, New York to start off with. Now, AMC is planning on opening about a dozen theaters across the state, and they are optimistic that New York City and Manhattan will open soon. Uh, you know, I'm definitely hoping for that as well. I definitely want to see Tenet on the big screen as soon as possible. Um, we'll see if the New York opening makes an impact on the box office numbers this coming weekend. Uh, no news if this is enough for real cities to reverse their plan to keep theaters closed indefinitely, uh, but we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as well. And also, while not strictly, you know, movie theater related, according to Dr. Fauci, you know, the, the chief scientist in charge of the U.S. response to the uh, coronavirus, uh, the COVID vaccine will likely be widely available in the first quarter of 2021, probably around April or so. Um, this is predicated on various pharmaceutical companies currently developing the vaccine to know by late November that, you know, they will be safe and effective. Uh, somewhere in the November, December range, they should be getting out to first responders around then um, if they are safe and effective. And then, We'll see the mass rollout across the country, um, likely around April or so. So we'll see if you know the 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 Q1 films uh, end up staying in those slots. In particular, the, I think the film that's that's most eyeing this is No Time to Die, uh, but the Bond film, of course, which is currently planned to come out in April. Uh, you know, uh, in addition, you know, the National Theater Association. Association of Theater Owners were able to get relief uh, for movie theaters into the COVID bill currently being debated in Congress. Um, obviously, we'll see if that gets passed later this week um, or not. Uh, if uh, we'll get if if that will pass through, and hopefully that helps some movie theaters because frankly, some of them may not last that long. Uh, the largest exhibitor in the states, of course, AMC Entertainment, announced they did not le- not likely have cast on hand and will probably be illiquid by the end of 2020 or at the very latest early 2021 as they have only about $417 million on hand, um, plus uh, you know, another $50 million or so that they've, that ma- they've made by selling stock. Perhaps the reason they're not closing down like Regal is is that, frankly, if they close down, they just may never reopen because of, of the startup costs. Uh, this also explains why they've been very gung-ho about their deal with Universal of sorting theatrical windows and getting a share of PVOD rentals 17 days after release. Uh, you know, also after the Cinemark and the Alamo Draft House tested out, you know, renting out movie theaters for, you know, supplemental cast for you and your friends, uh, AMC is doing the same and they're letting patrons rent out theaters for them and 19 of their friends starting at $99 um, for old films and going up to 149 for new films depending on the market. Uh, whatever they got to do to get gas, make cash, I guess. Um, after all, some preliminary, you know, non-audited Q3 numbers uh, so that they have only about, they've made only about $119 million this quarter compared to uh, $1.3 billion last year, which is a 91 decrease year over year. 
you know, in Korea, then this won't be affected by the by the uh, you know U.S. response. But uh, the largest theater chain, CGV, is apparently planning on closing 30% of its theaters uh, over the next three years in response to the pandemic slump. And, you know, exhibitors aren't the only ones suffering. It looks like for the producer or distributor, MGM, is potentially looking at being sold. Uh, currently, MGM has been managed by Anchorage Capital Manager Kevin Ulrich. But, you know, obviously with the delays in No Time to Die, um, you know, the hedge fund manager may be looking to, you know, look, look for a seller for MGM. Uh, rumored buyers include Comcast, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook. You know, Comcast, it would be mostly to roll up their library of content under the Universal banner. Um, Apple and, to some degree, Amazon would be more interested in MGM for a content play uh, for the services, particularly Apple, who uh, has, you know, somewhat been struggling with getting original content on there. Uh, and then Facebook is a bit of a wild card, but they do have the cast, and, you know, content does drive users to platforms, and, you know, Facebook is one of the biggest tech platforms out there. Um, in any case, no firm news yet, but obviously we'll be keeping track on if any developments happen here. I do personally think that if anyone does buy it, it'll likely be Apple just because of the number of deals they've made in recent years, uh, you know, or in recent months rather, uh, for, you know, premium content such as you know, the Tom Hanks film Greyhound and bankrolling Martin Scorsese's next uh, major film to the tune of $200 million. Uh, speaking of Apple, you know, they're, they're, and their moves on the content streaming front, um, before we get to the top five domestic films of the weekend, let's take a look at some streaming news. Uh, according to analytics company Kantar, in Q3, it looks like NBC's ad-supported streaming platform, Peacock, saw the highest growth of any streaming platform with 17% new subscribers. Uh, Amazon Prime Video saw about a 16% growth, HBO Max at 11.3%, Hulu 9.5%, Disney Plus 9.1%, Netflix with 8.3%, and then Apple brings up the rear at 4.9%. Or rather the rear of whoever was reported, since I don't see Quibi on here. Um, obligatory Quibi joke. Um, anyway, according to uh, another another uh, report, you know, uh, current U.S. subscribers look to be on the order of 72.9 million uh, from New Who Netflix, 37 million on Disney+, Plus, 36.3 million for both HBO and HBO Max combined. I'm not sure if that's actual active users, but just people who have access to it in some form or another. Uh, 33.6 for Apple TV, though caveat, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, 27.2 million for Hulu, and then 15 million for Peacock, including its free service. Um, Amazon's Prime Video is part of you know the general Prime subscription, um, but estimated daily active users is about 26 million in the U.S., putting it between Hulu and Peacock. Now, these numbers do include a number of users using uh, a free promo to gain access to the service. You know, like Verizon, for example, was giving a year of Disney Plus um, when it first launched. Uh, and according to Moffat Nathanson Analytics, um, they have numbers on Disney Plus and Apple TV specifically. Uh, Disney Plus apparently has 18% of its users still, uh, you know, uh, still on their free year, and then 59% of Apple users are are still. That's a pretty drastic difference, especially when you consider that, in general, Disney has a better retention rate, right? People will convert from their free year about 44% of the time uh, compared to Apple TV, who only about 32% of their users convert. So I suspect that the Apple TV numbers are a bit lower than the 33.6 million numbers quoted before. Now, AT&T boss John Stanky reported that the HBO Max uh, launch supposedly hit every goal, though I'm taking that with a grain of salt as corporate speak because they still have yet to hit Roku and Amazon TVs as far as I can tell. 
Uh, there was, however, a spike recently uh, of daily active users and downloads for the HBO Max uh, due to the West Wing cast reunion, um, up to 73.5% in terms of downloads with 3.1 million daily active users on mobile the day of the reunion, uh, which is the highest uh, number of daily active users since launch. Um, and now Unhinged is no longer in the top five of the domestic box office, but it is now available on PVOD. Now, this is significant because this is within the 90-day period. So it looks like the new norm or maybe the deal that, that distributors were able to work out with exhibitors um, that hasn't really been made publicly available yet is that you know 60 days, it's 60 days to the dot since it released back on August 7th. So I anticipate 60-day windows kind of being the norm now um, for you know release to VOD services. Um, you know, again, outside of the specific universal 17-day deal it has with AMC. Uh, speaking of theatrical films coming to streaming and PVOD, I had mentioned on previous episodes I thought that the Eddie Murphy sequel to Coming to America uh, was likely going to be removed from the theatrical release and bought it by a streaming service, maybe Netflix. Well, it turns out that the buyer was actually Amazon Studios and will be buying the film from Paramount, Paramount Pictures for $125 million to release on the same original date, December 18th. I can't find any budget numbers for the film, but that seems like a really high price to me. Um, honestly, not sure if in normal times even, never mind the pandemic times, uh, that it would have made $125 million at the box office. But uh, I guess good on Paramount for, for getting getting out there, uh, getting away with this. Um, Amazon has been making some great movie uh, acquisitions lately, especially with the Borat sequel coming out later this week, um, which, again, sold for $120 million. Um, which, again, political, so good timing on that. Anyway, now let's get to the, actually get to the top five domestic of the box office this weekend. In first place, we have a new Neon Leeson film from Open Road, uh, action thriller film uh, Honest Thief. It made $3.7 million in 2,125 theaters per theater average of $1,741. It actually opened a week early in Canada, so total take for that is now $4.2 million to date. In second place, we have last week's Tenet Slayer, The War with Grandpa, uh, dropping 31% down to 2.5 million in 2,260 theaters per theater average of $1,109. Tenet itself comes in third place uh, in the domestic box office with another 1.6 million in 2001 theaters, a 24% drop down to 800 per theater average. Um, notably, it crossed the $50 domestic mark, so congrats on hitting that milestone. Overall, it is up to $339.9 million worldwide, uh, $66 million of that coming from China, the largest market. Um, we'll see if the New York reopening this week helps that tenant's domestic numbers. I'm seeing people suggest maybe about another $5 million coming from New York being open again, um, especially if New York City eventually opens up as well. Um, I'd say the worldwide growth probably tops out somewhere in the $350, maybe $360 or so. Um, again, assuming that you know only New York opens up again, we'll see if LA opens up in full again and, and so on. Also, for some other fun stats, apparently Tenet is now officially the most seen film in France for 2020 with 2.25 million viewers against 1970s, 1917's 2.2 million. So uh, also worldwide, it has been seen by 41 million individuals. 
Now, Disney took the number four and number five slots with its classic Halloween films again. Uh, you know, in fourth place, uh, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas was re-released uh, in 2,194 theaters for $1.3 million for a per theater average of $603. Um, and then Hocus Pocus continues its re-release run in its third week, coming in number five with $756,000 in 1,640 theaters, 35% dropped to 461 per theater average. Um, notably, the other kind of Halloween-adjacent uh, Disney film, Pixar's Coco, uh, dropped 78% down to a measly $131,000 in 775 theaters in its second week, a per theater average of 169 I suspect the reason Coco didn't do so well compared to Hocus Pocus and Tim Burton's Night Before Christmas is because you know those other two films uh, never really got a super big uh, theatrical release in the heyday of the box office, whereas Coco you know, only came out a couple of years ago, so it's more likely than not people probably saw the film in theaters uh, when it first came out, so there will wasn't a need to go see it again whereas you know I, I'm, I'm guessing some young adults probably never really got a chance to see Hocus Pocus or Night Before Christmas in theaters Anyway, uh, there were some other new films that came out as well. Uh, there's a romantic drama, uh, Two Hearts, uh, which came in sixth place for $523,000 in 1,683 theaters, per theater average of 311. Paramount uh, did a simultaneous PVOD and theatrical release in its post-apocalyptic adventure film, Love and Monsters, uh, made $270,000 in 387 theaters, obviously a reduced number from the big chains not running it for breaking the PVOD uh, theatrical window. Um, this is a per theater average of $698. Um, however, it also topped the Apple TV charts this weekend, which, taking a brief tangent to talk about the digital releases, um, Aaron Sorkin's Trial of the Chicago 7 was number two on the Netflix charts where it was released this past Friday. So if you're interested in the Oscars race, um, I have another podcast, Oscars Death Race podcast. Um, that's going to be one of the top contenders for Best Picture, so definitely check that out. I know I'll have to at some point. And then finally, uh, back to the new releases. Sony released a dramedy, uh, comedy drama, The the uh, Kid Detective, in 865 theaters for a somewhat limited release uh, to $140,000, a per theater average of $162. Total domestic box office for this weekend was $12.5 million, up again from the $10.2 million last weekend. So despite the Regal Theaters closing, the box office is still expanding, actually. Uh, looking at last year, the box office was at $137 million, with new films being Maleficent Mistress of Evil at $37 million in its debut, and Joker in week three uh, with $29 million, and the premiere of Zombieland Double Tap at $26.8 million. Next week, aside from the aforementioned board sequel coming to Amazon, the only other film I think that's going to be you know mentioned worth mentioning is the crime horror drama film called The Empty Man in 1500 theaters. Or I don't know if it's going to be worth talking about, but uh, it's kind of funny. Disney uh, only put out the trailer like literally this past Friday, so like seven days before its release. So I don't think they have much faith in this film to do well if they're not advertising it. Uh, one film that I am excited coming out, right, is uh, that got announced for its release date is uh, Universal's the romantic uh, Universal's romantic drama All My Life, uh, which will be in theaters from Universal on December fourth and premiering on POVOD uh, December twenty third. Again, another one of those uh, you know uh, 
deals with AMC 17-day theatrical window deals. Um, the reason I'm excited for this, though, is not because of that, but it actually features an Asian American lead, Harry Sum Jr., uh, in a male romantic lead role, um, which aside from Henry Golding and Crazy Rich Asians, and I think he was also in that last Christmas film with, uh, with what's her name, Khaleesi from... from uh, Game of Thrones, I forget her, her name at the moment. Um, aside from Henry Golding, was there, when was the last time there was a real Asian American lead as a romantic lead? Um, let me know on Twitter because, frankly, I can't think of any. Anyway, on to China, and the big news here is that, drumroll please, uh, China is officially the highest grossing box office market in 2020. As of Sunday, China was at $1.988 billion for the year, while the U.S. is now at $1.937 billion. Um, as I said before, this was always going to come to happen um, at some point just because of the relative size of the populations, $1.4 billion in China versus $330 million in the U.S. However, the fact that the U.S. has had a subpar response to the pandemic um, and a relative anemic reopening of theaters, whereas you know the China box office has more or less come back to almost full capacity at this point, um, it just kind of accelerated that happening now as opposed to later. On top of you know having two of the top three films of the year, great job to China for their box office success this year. Uh, we'll see if the U.S. is ever able to recover. Maybe 2021. Uh, we'll see though if, if how how it pans out or if this is going to be the new norm from now on. Um, anyway, uh, you know, looking at the films, the top film was My People, My Homeland, the National Day film uh, that, that that led the pack. Um, it's added another $25 million to its takings, which is twice that of the entire U.S. box office um, this weekend, for a total of $367 million to date since debuting. I believe the initial estimates were somewhere in the 450th range, so we'll see if it actually gets there. Um, this is a 38% drop week over week. Uh, the rest of the top five are mostly films we've already seen. Uh, number two was the animated film Lens of Deification, 33% dropped to 7.5 million. Number three was romantic film Coffee or Tea at 6.6 million, 14% drop. Uh, number four was the volleyball film Leap uh, with 6.4 million, a 21% drop. And the number five was the Jackie Chan spy film Vanguard at 2 million, about a 31% drop. Uh, interestingly, uh, number six actually was a film that I wasn't expecting to see, but uh, it's a Filipino film like from the Philippines called uh, Miracle in Cell Number no. 7, which is itself a remake of a 2013 Korean film uh, of the same name. Uh, it technically opened last weekend in about 1,000 theaters, but it expanded to, uh, to 17,000 theaters for $1.4 million uh, in, here in, in China. So anyway, that's the new world order of the box office now. An anime film is the top grossing film in the world. China is now the top box office market. And the Borat sequel is the most anticipated film of next week. We'll see if normal ever returns. And with that, that is the end of this episode of the Box Office Watch Podcast. Suit me ideas for what I should cover next via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play as well. If you could leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on podchaser.com, that would be super helpful. Links to those in the show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. Remember, our watch goes on. <laughs>